Welcome into the EMA Online pregame podcast. Mason Voth, Alec Bussey with you here from EMA Online. Go get subscribed if you're not over at kansasstate.rivals.com. That's where you can uh, get plenty of great stuff. And if you, you miss the link, just wait. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, Mr. Mister Ticker, Alec Bussey, has decided to play with some of the other tools on here today. So it's going to go across the bottom of the screen for oh, you. But there it is. There it is. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of great things going right now. Uh, plenty of stuff actually on football at this time. If you go and look at the the homepage, uh, depending on when you're listening on this, like everything you're going to see there is football related uh, because it's it's actually been busy this week. We have a couple of recaps with guys that visited in the prior weekend. Marcus Neal from Raytown, who was in town, and then uh, uh, a 2025 tight end from Derby that is a really interesting prospect to follow along with. Uh, and it was good to kind of catch up with him and, and talk there. Plus, Alec was uh, at K-State football media availability yesterday where all the the new freshmen and transfers spoke for kind of the first time at K-State. And uh, a great story about Keegan Johnson, the transfer wideout from Iowa. Uh, we'll start there before we dive into talking about Texas, and, and we'll talk about some of the football stuff. But uh, what what were your takeaways from yesterday's media availability with all the new football players? Well, before I dive into that, have you seen the new news in the NBA? Uh, about Kyrie Irving, yes. he continues That's hilarious. We, we, how many months have we gone without any Kyrie drama? That's He was saving his bullets. And are you a Kyrie guy? No. <laughs> Please. Were you a Kyrie guy before some of the drama over the last like, No, I've always thought Kyrie was weird. You're really Look, good about pegging weird guys. Well, hey, you know, some would say it takes one to know one, but I don't think I'm a weird guy. Uh, I just think that, that I cut through the BS pretty well. And, like, I mean, I haven't liked Kyrie since uh, K-State had a play him in uh, so, the, the Sprint Center 2010-2011. So, so I'm not a Kyrie. Who else on your, like, oh, that guy's weird. We should we should keep an eye out for him for making some questionable decisions here. Matt Campbell. And I think that's already starting to, like, prove itself to be right at times. Um, trying to think who else I don't like out there. I don't know. It's one of those deals where I know it when I see it. So if you mention a name, I can kind of give you one. Of Thad like, Ward, you know. one of them? No, no. Look, I Thad Ward, obviously a guy that uh, is very gung ho about getting back to Illinois, a place that he he obviously seems to have a pretty strong affinity for. Uh, he has a lot of ties to that state. He was already at the program once. So uh, Thad Ward, I I don't get weird vibes from Thad Ward because he he kicked ass while he was at K State. It's unfortunate that he uh, moved on, but he's going back to a place that he already had ties to. So no hard feelings there on the uh, Thad Ward wagon. Okay. I was but. just curious if he was on there. Okay. Uh, back to big t- or back to case eight media availability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no major takeaways. Um, unfortunately we didn't get to talk to Treshawn Ward. Um, I think he had class or something like that. The pulling the Felix Daniel DK Uzama excuse. What the hell's that? Um, yeah. Who goes to class in college? Yeah. Not me. Yeah, the, and, and, and athletes, in particular, why are they going to class? Well, you know, they have class checkers. They have to go, right? They don't go, then they then they got to do oh, extra drop downs. Uh, yeah, so no extra uh, major takeaways. Um, obviously, a lot of the income, incoming freshmen are doing a lot to um, change their bodies physically. Um, I know Avery Johnson said that they're trying to get him up around like 190, 195, which is obviously um, a pretty big jump and weight for him. I think that's what, 20, 30 pounds. Mason, he's obviously not the most physically imposing mm-hmm. thick guy um as you could say for a quarterback coming out of high school um wesley fair he told us he's trying to gain around 10 pounds they have him eating like four or five meals a day and there's a story that'll be coming out later today on wesley fair on the homepage that you guys can look at again at email online 
So read that. That has some good information about how um, Wesley Fair is kind of going about this adjustment process of becoming a Big 12 defensive back, particularly strong safety, which is a pretty big adjustment for him. Um, but there's maybe a path to him getting on the field fairly early at K-State, considering some of the turnover and some of the injury um, luck that K-State's had at the back end there of the safety room and the defensive back. So go read that. But yeah, all things considered, no major takeaways. Uh, from that group um, that was able to come and speak with us. Uh, not a lot to talk about, I guess, with them at that point. That's, I mean, that's that's probably a good thing. You, you get some some good info about kind of their trajectory, and as long as none of them say anything crazy, um, that's probably good too. You, you don't want – like if there was major news coming out of uh, that yesterday, there's a greater chance that it's not good news because there's not really a lot of like great news that can come out of it. So – uh, probably a good thing that it was a pretty ho-hum day for uh, the newcomers at K-State. Good good to get to hear from them and uh, get them out there and give them that experience. And now the question becomes, uh, out of all of the freshmen that spoke yesterday, uh, which one do we see in, a, in an in-season media capacity the quickest? Or who's the first one we see there? Because, like, I don't think that we're going to hear from Avery Johnson once the season actually starts. In it was really funny when he was walking out. Well, before he started his presser. Um, so for those of you who don't understand how it goes. So um, we are all waiting in there for the players to come in. The freshmen come, come in at different moments. Avery comes in and he thinks he's like not in the right room. So first of all, I wonder if he like doesn't know where, um, where the like steel and pipe chamber team meeting room or whatever mm-hmm. they call it is or what exactly it was. So he goes in there and he's like, oh, am I in the wrong room? Because he sees all of us like press members in there. So that was funny. And then as Kenny Lanou and Ryan Lackey kind of instruct the three or four freshmen that are in there at that point to go to their different spots so we can all kind of go talk to him, all of us just go to Avery because yeah. well, he's Avery Johnson, right? So then before – this is this is maybe my favorite part. Then before we start asking him questions, he go, he looks over his shoulder and he says to Kenny and Ryan Lackey, uh, is this media training or is this like real, real deal stuff? <laughs> I think it's hilarious. That's funny. Um, so then, and then uh, I think it was Kellis Robinette asked him, well, how's school going or something like that. And Avery was like, uh, good, happy to be here or something. And then it like really started. It was just really funny. You know how those scrums start and it's really yeah. awkward at first. Cause no one knows who's going to ask that first question. And the first question is always the biggest softball thing of all time, because media scrums are the most unnatural way to talk to people ever. It's like a big group of people huddling around one person. It's so weird. Um, but yeah, that was, that was funny. I thought who, that was funny. Uh, I'll throw myself under the bus here. Who, who is more awkward in a media situation? Uh, Avery and all you guys there yesterday or me after the Florida game, uh, absolutely making sure with Tom and shouting in the room, are we getting golden? or something along those lines. Because I after oh, I did Avery, it... Avery yesterday was hilarious. After I did it, I felt kind of... I, I felt bad about it. And then I was like, the Florida guys that are here, they're going to like they're gonna talk so much crap on me when they get back to their beat. And they're like, yeah, they, they were wanting to hound Todd Golden about all this stuff. And it's like, I just wanted to make sure. And I had reason for thinking that he was maybe going to dodge us because all of a sudden I just see Naquan Tomlin like peek in back there before we've gotten any word. I'm like... Well, maybe he's not coming. Maybe he's like so upset about uh, losing and then, you know, whining about Jerome Tang calling a timeout, like whatever. Uh, and so I, I had to pipe up and just make sure we're getting golden. 
and and we did. So good good for Todd on showing up. But I, I felt weird in that moment afterwards. I was like, eh, they're gonna not understand because not all of them saw the players walking in like I did. But uh, that's good to know. But again, what is answer my question here? Which which guy that's a freshman that you talked to yesterday? Do you think is the first one we talked to in season? And it may not even be this year. It may be the following oh, year. That we talked to yesterday. Yeah. Um, I'll go Wesley Fair. I just feel like he's got an easier path to get on the field yeah. um, than some of the other guys. I Like you said, I don't expect Avery to talk at all this year because I don't think he's going to play at all this year as much as people maybe want him to play this year for the pure excitement mm-hmm. purposes of it all. Um, and well, fortunately, our- Will Howard played well enough last year to where I don't, I think that 99% of K State fans don't want to see Avery Johnson play this year. Mm, it's it's a lot lower, I bet. <laughs> okay. I, guess, I mean, I guess maybe, but I, everyone just, likes the shiny new toy. Um, well, and he is the shiniest, so I, I don't know. The golden boy, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll go Andre Davis second, um, and then we'll go, then we'll go Avery third if we're, if we're just talking yeah. about the three freshmen. Because well, I don't really count the JUCO transfer, um, Rex Van Wy or um, Van DSU transfer, Marquise Salas. Yeah, well, because I, uh, I, I think like, or like if you, you know, if you say Keegan Johnson's like, uh, that's pretty easy. I I think he's probably going to be pretty high on the depth chart at receiver. Um, but I, I think Wesley Fair is the way to go there because we know last year how K-State treated defensive backs. Like we saw a pretty good amount of like younger guys crack into the rotation and get chances. So uh if everything goes well, I guess it wouldn't be out of the question that maybe he could end up uh, out there next year. So he's probably the best answer. And and then with the way the wide receiver room sets up, uh, I don't know if it'll be this year, but Andre Davis is is going to have the the opportunity to get out there earlier than some. So uh, good good to get to hear from those guys yesterday and great insight and more content from all that coming from Alec with some some more great stories uh, this way. Other football notes: uh, Pete Thamel reported this on this Friday morning that we're recording this now in the afternoon that it is unlikely that Oklahoma and Texas will exit the big 12 early, which means that they will be here not only for this upcoming season, which we knew, but also for the final year that they are under contract with the big 12, the 2024 football season, and then the 2024, 2025 uh, academic year, or or however you want to phrase that. Um, Alec is still not sold that they are going to be here for that season. I'm trying to explain to him, I think they that it is the real deal now because even though we had heard throughout this process like uh, they're probably going to be here through 20, until 2025, um, this will happen, that'll happen. We never got like a definitive, okay, this is set in stone. And it even seemed like you know recently there was some momentum that would suggest that they would exit early. Now that I think that we're getting this, I, I think it means that it truly is unlikely that we're going to see OU and Texas leave early. Um, mainly from the standpoint of like Fox, Fox is going to to fight as hard as they can to keep OU and Texas games on their networks for the next two seasons. They do not want to give up Oklahoma and Texas. And really, there's you, you mentioned the possibility of like trading something. I really don't know that ESPN has any assets that could be traded to help Fox with that inventory right now. Because how about a good play-by-play guy to put with Joel Klatt? No, stop that. Don't don't be mean to Gus Johnson right now. I'll, I'll be mean to Gus Johnson. He's terrible at his job. Um, I, And I well, you would also have to probably get uh, the talent to agree to that trade as well. You know, this is like when Al Michaels went over from from ESPN to NBC. 
it's a little bit of a different deal, you know, like he wanted to be there. He wanted to do that, but I think, uh, I think no one wants to work for Fox when you can work for ESPN unless you're Aaron Andrews, apparently. Well, she got good money. Tom Rinaldi, you know, he also made the switch. That's true. Good call there. Jason Benetti also made the switch. Yeah. He was real upset about the Joe Buck edition from what I understand. He Benetti was, Mm -hmm. why was Benetti upset about the, because it oh, like blocked his upward mobility at ESPN. From oh, what but I understand. did Benetti think he was going to be in for Monday Night Football? I don't, I don't think so. But I, I mean, I I love Benetti, but like but I maybe I, he could be in line for baseball. Like, well, maybe he could have been in line for Sunday Night Baseball or something. Even though I think mm, um, Carl Ravitch did yeah, a good job well, last couple years, but I think the way ESPN's handled their baseball stuff is stupid. Shambi and Benetti. Would would have should have been their top two baseball. Voices. Well, I'm just happy that they screwed I'm, that pooch. I'm just happy that Matt Vaskersian's gone. Yeah, me too. All right, nobody cares I'm, about I'm that. Right. Yeah, nobody cares about Matt Vaskersian or whatever else. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Does he still do the MLB the Show games. Sorry. Uh, no, he got he got booted from that. That's uh, good because he was terrible at those two. Yeah, oh, it's because it's it's John Shambi and Chris Singleton that do it now. Really? Okay. Yeah, Sean, that was Shambi's uh, first year doing it. Was last year. I, at the Big 12 tournament, when the news came out last year, it was like like that day or a couple days prior, in between the afternoon and the evening session on Thursday, I went up to Shambi and I was like, I'm excited to see the news that you're getting to be in the show now. Like, that, that's awesome to me. Um, but say? anyways, he was like, oh, I appreciate that. He's like, it was really fun to, to do. And he like told me all about the process that he and Singleton went through, like to record for it and uh, what it was like. I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. So um, I, I think this likely means that it's the real deal. Oklahoma and Texas are here until 2025, and then 2025 football will be their first season in the SEC. But I know you feel differently, so so lay it out here why why you think something is still going to get done, even though Pete Thamel, who works at one of the networks that is theoretically heavily involved in this, uh, has reported it's unlikely. Yeah, I don't know. I think I may be just being cynical or maybe being a bit naive. I've always just thought that they would leave come 2024. Um, and I, think that, I know you said earlier when we were talking about this, that they have to make a decision, I think by September or something along those lines. Uh, just reading a story written by Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. He's obviously pretty plugged in. There was some pretty glaring quotes throughout the entire story. Um, one of them was, um, let's find it. They want to go and we want them to go from one Big 12 administrator. Um, so that like, that's just one. Another one from an athletic director. They keep coming close and every time they get to the finish line, they hit a snag. So like, I just think that they're going to continue to go to the negotiating table and they're going to end up finding something to work. And I just think it makes too much sense for them to for, it makes too much sense for them to not try and go in 2024 when so much of the college football landscape is changing come 2024. Obviously, that's when USC and UCLA make their move to the Big Ten. And that's not going to hit any snags because their media rights yeah. deal with the Pac-12 is over come the end of. Um, the 2024 academic year. So that paves the way for them to move come July of 2024 into the big 10, uh, which will then have 16 members, but the college football playoff expands to 12 teams come to come the 2024 playoff. Uh, they're the 2024 regular season. I think is the best way to phrase that. Cause I, it took me a little bit to yeah. graph like, okay, so that means the playoff is going to be 12 teams for this upcoming season. When all that news is breaking. No, it's actually going to be the 2024 regular season where it moves to a 12 team playoff, the 2025 national title, um, will be played um, in a 12-team playoff format. So I, I, I just think it makes a lot of sense for it to happen come 2024 when those other big moves in college football and college sports happen. 
And I just think that they're going to continue to go back to the negotiating table. We've heard different things about this being done in the last couple months, and they've always continued to find new ways to negotiate. And I just think they're going to continue to go back because even someone who hasn't been in the Big 12 media space as long as you have or a lot of other people have, it's become very clear to me that there's not a lot of want or desire for Texas or Oklahoma to be in the league amongst their peers and Texas and Oklahoma obviously don't want to be in the big 12 because that's why they're leaving the big 12. So I just think they're going to continue to go back to the negotiating table and whether they Texas and Oklahoma find the money to just pay their way out. And that's upwards of like up to about 130 million or whatever, or as low as like 80 million or whatever it may be. Uh, I think they're going to either do that or ESPN and Fox are going to create some sort of deal to be able to get them in. And Dellinger wrote something along the lines of, you know, maybe they play four games at big 12 schools after moving to the sec. And those games are then able to be broadcast on Fox because they're at a big 12 campus. But then there's the snag of, well, Texas and Oklahoma might want it to be a home and home. And I don't understand why like that would be a huge hangup for a lot of schools. Home and homes are becoming a big thing. I wouldn't be shocked if that is something that they do. I just think that it's going to become something where, they, they decide to make the move. The money gets paid. The networks, ESPN and Fox, um, as much as they're at odds on a lot of things, are eventually just going to find a way to come to an agreement, and this is going to get done, and they're going to leave the Big 12 um, before 2025. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm not going to rule it out. Uh, it, certainly things can change, and obviously if uh, the, the relationship gets even worse than it already is, maybe um, the Big 12 will concede a little bit more. Maybe Oklahoma and Texas would concede a little bit more. Um, but I, I just think that they're probably at the stage right now where they understand like they're they're both not wanting to budge and there are reasons um, like OU and Texas don't want to give up any more than what they probably feel like they already have, whether that uh, is actually true or just perceived giving things up in the Big 12. I think at this stage um, they've probably looked at it and said, we've we've think we've given up a fair amount of money in this to make this happen. So. Uh, if you're not going to do that, then we'll just keep the money the way it is and, and try and help ourselves out uh, in that regard and, and make you suffer. Because ultimately, if you're the Big 12, um, it would suck to have two really pissed off people with you. But you got to look around and say that you got 12 other schools that are happy to be there and are, are in good shape and, and just enjoy those 12. And um, you, you guys don't have to worry too much about the two that are kind of throwing things off. It's like you, you go to a family gathering and it's like, man, I'm really excited to see, you know, this cousin, this uncle, this whatever. Um, but I'm also not really excited about this part of the family being there. But guess what? Like, I, I'm not going to like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to spend a ton of time around him. I'm not going to worry about it too much. Uh, and I'm going to make the best of what I have with the people that I actually want to be around. And I think that's what the Big 12 ultimately is going to have to do here. So we'll see how it ends up working out for him and, and what the next step ends up being. Moving on. And speaking of Texas still. We've got the Longhorns coming to Manhattan this weekend to face K-State, a rematch of the thrilling 116-103 to win uh, in Austin earlier this year. I am going to doubt that K-State scores 116 again. I'll also doubt that Texas scores 103 again. I don't think we're going to see uh, another Big 12 game this year where both schools put up 100 points in regulation. And honestly, I don't know that we see another Big 12 game this year with any team scoring in 100 points under any circumstance. It just seems unlikely. The league is too competitive, and it took a really 
weird situation and, and hot night for both teams to uh, crack the 100-point plateau in Austin. There were also a lot of fouls down the stretch, so that kind of helped the scoring too. But um, doesn't seem likely to me. But what are the uh, initial thoughts on Texas coming to Manhattan for a rematch in, in a game that they probably feel like they, uh, they kind of screwed the pooch on? Yeah, I think it's obviously a really big game for each team. I think if you're Texas, it's an opportunity for you to get a game um, to really kind of make a point that you are the best team in the Big 12 um, at this point, because if they beat K-State, that's obviously a really big road win for them. Texas already sits atop the Big 12 standings, but it's also really important for them to get a win because they go to Kansas on on Monday. It is. They play Kansas on Monday, Big Monday, ESPN. So they're going to need, um, I think, to maybe split one of these two games to really feel like they're in a really good position. Um, I think most people would probably admit that it's a little bit more likely that you're going to win at K-State than you're going to win at KU. Um, but obviously, it's still going to be really tough for Texas to come in to Bramwich and get a win. And if you're K-State, like it's a big opportunity for you, too, because you've lost your last two Big 12 games. Um, you've obviously now seen yourself fall a little bit down in the Big 12 standings to 6-3. and three. Uh, You're tied with TCU, Iowa State, and Kansas at that point with the game lead on Baylor. So it's a big opportunity for K-State to kind of keep pace um, atop the Big 12 standings with a win. They would move back into a tie atop the league. So it's a really big game. It means a lot to each each team, each program. And um, I go back to something that I said a couple of weeks ago when we were doing a pod, Mason. It said, if you continue to win games um, in the Big 12, you're going to continue to play bigger and bigger games. And even though K-State's lost their last two games, they're still in a position to be in a spot where they're playing a really big game because they're at the top of the standings. And the longer you're at the top of the standings, the bigger and bigger your games are going to get and the more meaningful they're going to become. So big opportunity for each team, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Uh, for for K-State, like, it's as simple as just looking at it and saying, hey, they are going to – if K-State wins, like, no matter what other results take place this weekend, K-State's back in a tie for first in the Big 12 Conference. And if they lose, then they're two games out of first in the Big 12. Like, it's, it's a pretty big swing that could happen. And there's also a lot of other, like, points of clarity that could come this weekend in the Big 12. Obviously, Kansas and Ames is a big deal. And then, like you – you mentioned Texas on Monday having to go to Allen Fieldhouse. Like, th- there's a scenario scenario here where Iowa State wins, uh, Iowa State or Kansas doesn't really matter. One of them wins uh, this weekend, and then if KU beats Texas on Monday, all of a sudden Texas has gone from solo first to they're not even in a tie for first place anymore. So they're out of that realm, and it, it kind of flips it on its head. And if Kansas loses to Iowa State and then beats Texas, like it kind of washes uh, the results out there. So KU doesn't really make up any significant ground. Like there's a lot to look at and and it's going to be a a pretty substantial weekend and uh, next couple of days for the big 12. I, I think for K state, like this is the game that's going to show us now, like they, they survived the first little wave where they made it to the halfway point. They are true contenders for the big 12 title, as well as like five other teams in the league right now. Um, But if they can win this game, they can continue to protect their home floor. Them and Iowa State are the only two teams in the league that have not lost a home game yet this year. If they can do that, then they they solidify themselves for the second half of the season. And if they lose to Texas, it likely means that, I mean, the, the margin for error gets really thin if you lose a home game right now in this position. And it, it most likely means that they're just playing for seeding the rest of the way. So that's what's on the line for K-State and Texas. Uh, the Wildcats, I, I think that they've been pretty good coming off of losses this year. We've seen them be able to kind of go out and address their issues. 
Um, we, we know that inside is still a weakness for K-State. What kind of problem does Texas present there? Because we saw the first matchup uh, between the two sides. And for, for the Longhorns in that game, I mean, um, it, they had some bigs, but they didn't really do anything. It really was Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr that carved K-State up. And your favorite guy, Serge Jabari, uh, off the bench. Hey, that's a great name. It's a great name. That, not going to an not awesome gonna name. I was texting with a friend about um, Texas a couple weeks ago. I forget who they were playing, but someone said, I'm naming my firstborn son Serge Jabari because I think he had money on Texas and he had obviously had a couple big shots down the stretch. And I thought it was hilarious. Um, no, I think the biggest thing um, that Texas kind of poses is they don't have a great traditional big in terms of someone like an Eddie Lampkin, but I do think that. Um, guys like uh, Dylan Gisu and Christian Bishop, who both I, Bishop believe, I believe got hurt in the game against Texas earlier. Yeah, against K State's game earlier this season against Texas, um, and that was that was unfortunate for the Longhorns. I thought because it took away someone on the inside. But I also think that um, you look at kind of the stats that Texas has this year: shots around the rim. Um, Bishop shooting over fifty eight, shooting about fifty eight percent at the rim. Gisu's at fifty seven and a half percent at the rim this season as well too. Um, both those numbers coming from hoop math. So K-State's interior defense is going to have to be pretty solid. Um, and then also I think their backcourt is going to have to play really well. Marquise Noel has really regressed over the last couple of games. He has not played very well. Um, he's been really turnover prone. K-State's going to need him to be a lot better, in my opinion, especially with someone like Marcus Carr coming in, who um, I don't think he's been talked about enough with the way that Marcus Carr has played this season. Um, he's been awesome for Texas a lot of this year. He's lost a lot of his... Um, He's lost a lot of his gutter mentality, I guess you could say. He's plays with a lot more awareness. I compared him earlier this season to Caleb Love, and I think a lot of people that I said that's really, yeah. hey, that's a really good comparison. Um, but Carr's obviously having a really good year, averaging 16 points a game, um, shooting 40% from three, which is awesome for him. Um, he's obviously someone who has a great ability to score, but he's also dishing out four assists a game. So K-State's backcourt's going to need to play really well. And I'm really interested to see um, the defensive intensity that someone um, like Tyrese Hunter shows for Texas because he's kind of had a weird defensive season where, you know, he kind of made his mark defensively at Iowa State last season. And I know Texas was really excited to get a really talented defender in their backcourt next to Carr, who maybe isn't the greatest defender at times entering the season. And Hunter definitely hasn't been the type of defender he was in the past. And I think the losing of Chris Beard probably has something to do with that. But um, he really stepped up late in the game against Baylor. Uh, previously for Texas. So mm -hmm. I'm interested to see if Hunter has a really good game, accepts that challenge of defending uh, Marquis Noel, or if Texas kind of does some things that other teams have done to Marquis Noel, and that's put a wing on him because he struggled with that size. He struggled with that physicality um, at times. He struggled with it against Kansas twice. I know that first game against Kansas, he mm -hmm. uh, played pretty well as a facilitator, but he struggled to get inside, struggled to score against the Jayhawks and that win at Bramlage. Um, so I'm interested to see if someone like Arturio Morris gets put on him or maybe even Dylan Mitchell. Well, and that's kind of one of those things with Noel. Um, he, he's he's lost some of the efficiency that made him really good earlier in, in Big 12 play um, because not only was he scoring a ton that week that they went down to Texas and they played Texas and Baylor, but he was also pretty efficient in doing so. Um, he still put up big scoring numbers uh, against Kansas on Tuesday night, but the efficiency wasn't there. He was 3 of 11 from 3, and I, I've harped on it a lot, but he and Keontae Johnson combined for 32% shooting in the game. So, Noel, as teams have continued to learn how to defend him and try different things to shut him down, 
Uh, it's going to lead to K-State needing some other guys to step up on a more consistent basis. And that's why when they've gotten good games from Ishmasu, they've given themselves a chance. Or, you know, that Desi Sills is going to have to be a little bit more consistent uh, in, in some of the things that he does. And, and I think K-State, I mean, they can do it, and they, they just have to kind of lock in a little bit. I, I think we're starting to see some of that growth in the steps forward from Naquan Tomlin a little bit. Um, he's still going to have some games where he just kind of disappears, but I think he's getting more aggressive. He's starting to learn more and more how to kind of use his skill and his size at this level. Um, and, and so I think he's going to need to be significant in this game. I think as, as, as the season continues to progress, K-State is going to have to have these role guys be more and more important because at this point, the way some of this has gone, these teams have just been able to figure out, as long as we can kind of frustrate and and shut down Noel and Johnson enough, K-State isn't as tough of a beast uh, as we initially thought they were. Yeah, and I think the return of David Gassan is going to be really important for this game as well for K-State. Um, he obviously didn't play in the game down in Austin, and Texas was able to um, not overcome that. I guess I should say I spoke that in the wrong order. K-State was able to overcome David Gassan not playing in that game. But again, that was just such a weird game. Like, you never see that point, that many points scored in a college game. So I'm interested to see um, what kind of contributions David Gasson gives to K-State on Saturday because I think at six foot nine, um, he's someone who can match up really well on the inside with someone like Disu and someone like Bishop and someone like Timmy Allen as well because Texas obviously has a good amount of size um, on the wing and on the inside, but not that overbearing size. They have good yeah. positional size, I guess is how I would phrase it. Um, so I'm interested to see what kind of contributions that David Gasson gets. I think um, the ability of Ishmael to maybe get on the glass is going to be really important. We saw him hit the glass really hard um, against Florida, but then he regresses pretty significantly against Kansas. I don't think he had a rebound um, against the Jayhawks on Tuesday. So getting that consistency from him on the glass, I think is really important because you know that his shooting is going to work him onto the floor. And then uh, Desi Sills is someone that does need to be better for K-State. The 24 points he scored against Kansas was obviously not sustainable. He hasn't done something like that at all this season for K-State. Um, aside from the KU game and he struggled a lot in my opinion in the loss at Iowa State he really struggled aside from the first couple of minutes in the game against Kansas um, in the second half um, I should say is where he was successful and a lot of those points came at the free throw line so K-State needs him to be impactful as well coming off the bench because it's obviously clear that Texas has a guard advantage with guys like Rice and Hunter and Carr but K-State may have the best guard of the on the court on Saturday but you kind of need another guard to be able to step up and it would be huge for K-State if that's Desi Sills who um, has really struggled in the last couple of games for K-State. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be significant and, and we'll see how it goes. I, I actually like the matchup for K-State um, just because of the way like Texas kind of goes out there against them. I mean, guard heavy K-State has been able for the most part to be able to hang with teams that are pretty guard oriented. Um, and, and that's why I think like the second time around with Kansas, um, they were they were better equipped for it, and unfortunately, K State like they they just kind of screwed up there because they didn't expect anything from Dewan Harris. They seemed to not really bank on McCuller, and as Gabe pointed out, like McCuller splits, he he's actually been um, somebody that you need to worry a little bit about in Allen Fieldhouse than than what you get on the road. Um, so that was just kind of a weird one, and I think KU is prepared for it. But we've seen K State handle Texas, they handled Baylor, uh, both teams that are, are guard oriented. And I think with the way that Texas sets up going into this game, like it's the same type of deal. Um, it, as long as K-State doesn't have to, to worry about like serious big men inside um, and teams being able to get it there, 
then they've been in a good spot. And in Texas, I mean, it, it, they could get get it to some of those guys, like you've mentioned. But I just think there's too much of like, I want the ball, I want to make the play. And Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter still, even though Carr, I think, has been better about that this year because last year, you're absolutely right. I mean, he was he was like Caleb Love on steroids. Like he no, had, they're the exact same player. Oh, I mean, they're they're the same player, but like they're the I same think, player. Caleb Love is just like two, three inches taller. And Caleb Love just kind of lucked out that he had a, a, like a better number two in Armando Baycott. They're the same player in the fact Baycott that might be the number so one. There. My comparison was that they're the same player, but Caleb Love is a couple inches taller, but has less awareness of how bad he actually is on some nights. Yes, I think you're there's right. nights that there's nights that those two guys are going to carry you to a win because they're going to mm-hmm. get hot and they're going to shoot the lights out. But there's nights that one that they might cost you a game. But I'll give Marcus Carr a ton of credit this season. He hasn't done that as much. Um, this season for Texas as he did in his Minnesota career. But at Minnesota, he was yeah. the only guy they had, um, although they did have Gabe Kalsha for a year or two there. And he was a lot like – he was like that last year. The other he thing- was like that last year at Texas. But this year, he hasn't been like that, and I think that has a lot to do with the emergence um, and the progression of guys mm-hmm. like Bishop and um, guys like Allen. And really, I mean, I think having Tyrese Hunter has really helped him as well in the backcourt. And I love Sir Jabari's Rice game. I, he's a really good player. He comes off the bench, gives him – 11 points a game in about 22 minutes or 24 minutes. I should say like, I think Serge Jabari Rice is awesome. And I already said he has a great name. So another thing that, that I think works in K-State's favor is um, the teams that have been able to beat him have, have some really like good shooters from the outside. Texas really only has, you know, two guys that you have to worry about on a consistent basis in car and rice. Uh, they have a couple of other guys that depending on the night can maybe knock them down. Like Hunter, uh, he made a couple, I think, on Monday night against Baylor, and that was kind of significant. Uh, the last thing on Texas for me don't forget, is – Don't forget Cunningham. Cunningham's a good shooter, too. He doesn't shoot a, a super high volume, but he's a high – Yeah, he doesn't – I mean, he doesn't shoot a ton of them. Like, he's only attempted three – or uh, he's only attempted 37 of them this year. I had to stop myself from using the nickname there, by the way. Yeah, don't do not do that. Uh, the, that but my, my only – yeah, it was good of you to, to censor yourself. Uh, the only thing that I'll add is – Texas has been a much different team on the road this year where the teams that have been able to go and kind of push them uh, at home. uh, I mean, K-State's the only one that's been able to actually get a win and they've had more comfortable outcomes at home on the road. It's been really dicey uh, for Texas. They struggled. They got a one point win at Oklahoma. The game with Oklahoma state was close. That being Um, said though, the game against Oklahoma wasn't that their second, second or third game. Wasn't that the first first conference game of the season? Yeah. First one without beard, right? No, second uh, one without no, it was uh, it was their second one without beard. Um, and then or actually maybe their third. no, it wasn't. They played they played it, Stanford, it, Louisiana, Lafayette, Texas. A&M oh, yeah, they, they played Rice, it was, Stanford, it was Louisiana, first, A&M it was their first road game without him. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe they were more comfortable though without him there. Um, and then they, they've struggled, uh, they got beat by double digits at Iowa State. Um, they they got beat by double digits at Tennessee. Good teams, but just uh, something to note. Whereas, um, like with these road games, they they've had it be a little bit tighter at home. Even though they've had some close ones, I think they've played better. They've played at a higher level. So uh, as long as Bramlage looks like it's looked the last four games or whatever it's been, uh, I, I have all the confidence in the world that, that that's going to be able to play a factor in this. And I, Texas might just be due for a loss at this point in Big Twelve play. Um, I know that they had the one recently to Tennessee, but they've ripped off three in a row, um, including six of their last seven in Big 12 play. 
So they're in a good spot, but this is a really tough stretch coming up. And this is one of those that you look at and say it could possibly swing the league. So um, I, I think K-State's got a chance. I mean, they're the one-point favorite in Vegas as we talk right now about what's going on. Um, so we'll see how it ends up playing out. I just uh, – I don't really have a great read one way or the other because um, I have to fight through what I perceive in my head as what would typically play out versus – what I actually see and, and how I can actually break down and analyze this game. So I don't know where you see it going uh, and how you think it plays out, but uh, kind of lay it out to me there. G- give me a prediction and then uh, a guy or two that needs to step up for K-State. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that you struggle with projecting this game and one of the reasons that I really struggle to project this game as well is that you just can't put any stock to the previous game that the two teams played because it's not going to happen again. Like that was just such a weird performance um so i think that that stuff i mean if just use the kansas game that's the only other two play that k-state's had this year Mm -hmm. in my prediction for the ku game on tuesday i was like okay well jalen wilson's not going to go for 38 points again but i know desi sills is not going for 24 yeah um and i and i thought the return of david gasson would be important for k-state but i also thought that grady dick would probably have a better game and i thought that juan harris had been playing better and i kind of factored all those things in i was like games at allen um, you know, you factor all those things in and I felt like KU would win by, um, about 10 or 12 points, which I think they ended up winning by 12. Um, so you, you put all those things together and like that helped me make that decision, but I don't really have the ability to do that, um, against Texas on Saturday because it was just such a weird game. Um, I don't put any stock to it because it was so weird. Uh, such a high scoring game, very little defense played for each team. The shot making that was on display for each team was absurd. So I don't put a lot to it. Um, Obviously, if you're looking at it from a talent perspective, I think you obviously have to give the nod to Texas. Um, they have three really good guards. Um, two of them obviously start. Sergio Barry Rice, I think, is one of the better six men in the country and particularly in the Big 12. So that's intriguing. I think, like you said a little bit earlier, it's going to come down to how good K-State is on the interior. Texas is obviously a team that has had some success on the inside this season. Um, if you kind of look at some of the advanced analytics uh, this year, their two-point percentage is not great um, defensively, but on the offensive side, it's top 15 in the country. So those that team does score well at the rim, and they're able to get into the teeth of the defense. So that's obviously concerning, and some of that comes with the guard play as well. So I don't know if I feel great about making a prediction yet. I think it's going to be really close. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down to the last possession of the game, last team with the ball has a chance to win it. So um, don't put me on the spot yet with a prediction. I'll, I'll have one later for I- for the preview i texas can texas is good at finishing around the rim i just don't think that they they go there enough uh, especially with some of the bigger guys the, the benefit that they have is they've got great finishers at, at the guard spot too so yeah. not only is it guys that, that are inside typically it's when they have the smaller guards that that are also you know threats at doing other things like they get to the basket and they actually know how to finish there and and i mean they can create for themselves obviously so that's a, a significant deal i I think for K-State in this game, so we we know that Noel and Johnson have to get back on track from just an efficiency standpoint. Um, the turnovers have to, to get lowered at some rate. I, I know that Marquise Noel has the ball in his hand is a lot, but him having five of, of K-State's ten turnovers in the first half against Kansas killed them uh, on, on Tuesday night. Like, K-State had a chance to be in that game. The officials did not cost K-State that game on Tuesday night. The, the Allen whistle was there for the first however many, Tang got his technical, the team rallied, they cut it to three, and then K-State proceeded to turn the ball over a lot and make bad decision, decisions when it came to shooting the basketball. 
it, it, they got to clean it up there. So we'll see how that plays out. And then in addition to that, like you're going to need somebody to step up. And, and I really don't know who it is. I, like I, I, you're not going to get a, a huge night from Masood. A big night from Masood is he hits like three of the threes that you need him to do, like what he did against Baylor. He had a key one in the first half. He had a key one in the second half, and he had a key one in overtime. So that's nice. You, you need that. So it's going to have to be somebody like Naquan Tomlin or Desi Sills um, that, that provides like a significant scoring punch or, or somebody that can help you make the right plays. So we'll see. It feels like it, it's been a while since we've just gotten like a, a very efficient night for many of the, the key guys for K-State, and we'll see if they can do it against Texas uh, moving forward. So that, th- those are my thoughts on the game. We'll have the full pick and preview uh up and ready to go for sure by the time uh you, you wake up on saturday morning it may be up there for for some of you night owls tonight on friday if you're listening to this then uh any other thoughts before we we head into the weekend and let everybody sweat it out as we uh, approach 24 hours before tip off yeah i mean i think we're gonna try and get over to the shamrock thing um for the new indoor football facility openings maybe we'll get to talk about your mark maybe we'll be the ones to break that texas and oklahoma are staying in the big 12 or leaving the big 12 maybe Maybe he just announces it there to everybody on the court. He walks out and says, Hey, they're staying. Give them hell. Something like that. Um, Maybe one of the Jordan Belfort. Yeah. One other thing uh, that I'll throw out uh, real quick is uh, talking about the, you know, some of the, the guys in the league and everything. I'll, I'll quiz you um, as we've talked a lot about college basketball in the last two days, you, me and Gabe. Um, there are three big 12 players that rank in the top 20 of power five basketball when it comes to usage rate. Do you think you can name those three players? You said what? So in in power in the, at the power five level in college basketball or power six, you know, including the big East, the, in the top 20 of usage rate, there are three big 12 players. Can you name those three big 12 players? Um, Jalen Wilson is one of them. He's he's the he's number two out of the Big Twelve. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. I would have guessed he was number one. You've seen the you've seen one of the other guys play, and the other one you have not seen play. You said that three out of the top what? Three out of the top twenty in the Power Six of college basketball uh, in usage rate are Big Twelve players. Three out of the top twenty. Okay. Um. So Jalen Wilson is one. Um, what is his usage rate? Jalen Wilson's usage rate is 30.8%. Ooh, okay. Um, wow, this is tough. Um, this is a good question though, Mason. I give you a lot of credit for this one. This is a good question. Well, it just popped up on my Twitter timeline. I thought it would be interesting to, to, to quiz you. Um, the other one, I think you could get the other one. I don't know that you will, because like I said, uh, he's the only guy that you haven't seen play yet in the Big 12 because we've seen, well, outside of Oklahoma, but it's not an Oklahoma player. Um, do you need you need any other hints? Bo- the other well, two guys are both newcomers to the Big 12 this year. This is their first year playing in the Big 12. Okay, that, that helps me, I think. Well... Is Keontae George one of them? Yeah, Keontae George is number one in the Big 12, and he's number four nationally at 31.6%. And then you said the other one is a newcomer as well. Yes. Fardaz. 
I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I think you have to be on the floor uh, a little bit more than yeah. what he has been. Um. Okay. Let Let me get one more guess here. Um, I was joking about Fardos, obviously. Uh, let's go with. Have you used your ESPN Plus subscription at all? Because that's what you would need to probably watch this team. Um, not lately. <laughs> um, I haven't been because I've been going to games on Tuesdays and Saturdays. Uh, Eric Stevenson. It is Eric Stevenson. Twenty nine point six percent. Do you know I who has the number? The way he played against Auburn last week. Yeah. Do you know who has the number one usage rate in the country? I'd probably guess like Zach Eady. He's number two. But it's another Big Ten player that's number one. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, TJD? No. Uh, he's He actually is not on in the top 20. Hunter Dickinson? Nope. He uh, also not in the top 20. It is Bryce Sensabaugh. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a ton of sense. On right, he exactly uh, 33.3% is his he's a dog. Rate at Ohio State. So he is a go. dog. Uh, Ohio on, State is not fun to watch, but he is awesome. To watch. On this list, uh, number three is Devin Askew, who K State faced in their second game of the season at Cal. Uh, so there you go. Um, nobody else really uh, of note on this list to, to kind of throw out there. Although, if you expand it to the entire country, the number one usage rate in the country is at thirty six point one percent. It's it's Antoine Davis of Detroit Mercy who. Alec, you weren't here yet, so you don't. You may not know your K State history. Antoine Davis was in the running to transfer to K State before he signed an NIL deal in the eleventh hour with a company called Globals, and he returned to Detroit Mercy to play for his dad, who's the head coach. Uh, and now Antoine Davis is like the all-time leading three-point maker uh, in college basketball history and all this. So. Imagine that you, you could have had Antoine Davis on this team if it wasn't for glow balls, but instead uh, he's like slumming it in the horizon league. And I don't think that they're doing very well there. So, but he's getting his, so good for him. Hats off to Antoine Davis. Uh, that'll do it for us. We've got plenty of great stuff coming your way over at EMA online on rivals throughout the rest of the weekend, basketball coverage galore, a lot of stuff still on football to get caught up on and prepared for. Like Alex said, tomorrow at one is the ribbon cutting of the new Shamrock Indoor Practice Facility for the football team. So they're letting people in. Brett Yormark is going to be in Manhattan tomorrow. So that is a significant deal to have the Big 12 commissioner. And then also be on the lookout. Uh, going to start doing this every Friday, throwing together a, a little look at where all the different bracketologists have K-State heading to. K-State right now, most commonly a two or a three seed uh, with the major bracketologists. And they're kind of split on where they're sending K-State, whether it's to – uh, the, the East or the Midwest or the West, it, it, it's all going to be fun to follow along with over the next month as we are, I think, a month and a week away from Selection, uh, selection Sunday weekend happening. Um, so that'll be a, a good time to follow along with. All that stuff over at email online, but that'll do it for Alec and I. We're out, and we will have more coverage for you on the Cats tomorrow after K-State and Texas in Bramlage.